You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. Jamie, we mentioned the Nathan McKinnon birthday. He's 26 years old today. You can get in on the conversation anytime, 960-960-650-650. We had a couple people commenting on Nathan McKinnon. We can get to those comments in a second. It's not the only anniversary of sorts in the National Hockey League. That's a birthday. 22 years ago today, the National Hockey League approved Mario Lemieux as an owner. He was owed $32 million at the time, and they would convert that into equity. And, of course, he has been an owner of the Penguins ever since and eventually became a player owner when he came back to play for his own team. It got me thinking this, Jamie. It's been more than two decades since that happened. Do we talk enough about the remarkable story through hockey and the remarkable journey through hockey of Mario Lemieux? Probably not. And you just have to look. I mean, we talk a lot about his exploits on the ice, and you could still even argue he's maybe underrated as a player, given how talented he was, which sounds insane to say. But again, there's a case to be made, given what he was able to do for so long. But you're right. I mean, he's been an owner of this team, and they've enjoyed an incredible run of success under his stewardship with the team. And you're right. the, The funny, weird circumstances of how it came about, you know, he was owed money, so they gave him equity instead. It's such a bizarre situation. But Man, has that team been successful, partly under his stewardship. It certainly has. And I've I've asked this question before. I don't know if we've done it on this show, but I've asked this question before. And you have to think about it for a really long time. There'll be, there'll be a reflex reaction to it. If you compare on ice plus off ice, who had a better career, Marilyn Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky? Now, Gretzky's accomplishment on the ice, they dwarf Lemieux simply yeah. by sheer volume. And Gretzky has had some success off the ice. But Merrill Lemieux as an owner, man, they've won three Stanley Cups since he's been there, Jamie. Yeah. And Wayne Gretzky has had some success off the ice. You could point to, you know, Team Canada, right, and and helping guide them to some Olympic medals. He also had some failures off the ice as the coach of the Phoenix Coyotes, right? So you almost have to count that as a demerit in the conversation when you're having this, this, this debate. LeBron is going to be an owner very soon, says one text. I agree with that. I think he will be. There's a lot LeBron James is going to do that nobody else has done before. That's fine. Mary Lemieux is the first player to own his former team. And I'm not sure that, I mean, LeBron's going to have multiple teams to choose from, so maybe it'll be a little little easier for him in, in that regard. But Michael Jordan, for example, he didn't get a hand in his former team. That's what Mary Lemieux got. His hockey story is remarkable enough. There's just the offensive exploits, but the fact that he went through cancer, what he went through with his back surgery to come back and play and do everything that he did and then shepherd in Sidney Crosby, who we'd end up overseeing as an owner and have ultimate success there. There's just so much to the story. Buffalo Bill Texan saying he gets my vote as the greatest player I ever saw. I think there's people who agree with that. Yep. I don't think there's a debate as to whether Merrill Lemieux the better player in his National Hockey League career than Wayne Gretzky, but I understand that argument right there. Hey, this is the best player I ever saw, and because of the injuries and because of what he went through with cancer, he never got to fulfill all of his potential had he been healthy, but what we saw was incredible. Yeah, it's a difference. The debate of best career, you're right. I mean, Gretzky just has such a an advantage in terms of volume that it isn't really a debate. But if you want to change it to most talented, as that texture does, 
Well, then all of a sudden you can make a pretty compelling case for Mario Lemieux. And just on your, you know, your LeBron James point and how uh, Mario is the first player to own his former team. Yeah, LeBron has a list to choose from. I don't know what the relationship between him and Dan Gilbert is like right now, but wouldn't that be something if LeBron James was able to wrest control of the Cleveland Cavaliers away from Dan Gilbert at some point? I imagine it would be widely celebrated in Ohio. Yes, would it I not? I think it would. I would think it, it would. Like- I'm sure they're happy that Dan Gilbert got LeBron and then helped in some way to get him back, and I'm sure they're happy for the success that they've enjoyed when LeBron James was there, but I'm guessing it's not much of a popularity contest. No, I don't think so. I think that one would be widely applauded in Ohio. This one comes in. Dave in Cedar says, where do you place Mario in the best players of all time? Here's my list, says Dave. Wayne, number one. Bobby Orr, number two. Gordy Howe, number three. Rocket Richard, number four. He has Mario sitting in fifth. I would probably bump Mario up my list. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, when you're getting into comparing guys like Bobby Orr, Gordy Howe, Rocket, that I never really got the chance to see play, it's difficult for me to make that comparison. But just based on accomplishments and talent level, I would have Mario Lemieux higher than fifth for sure. I'd probably have him at three in that regard, Jamie, and that's not trying to discredit Gordy Howe. And this is the conversation you get into, and it's so hard to compare eras because all of the players that are talked about here, they were trailblazers in their own era. And Lemieux's era overlaps with Gretzky, but Lemieux did things that we didn't think possible, and some of that had to do with a bigger frame. And this is the conversation, like we brought up earlier, with Haley Wickenheiser. Part of it is a trailblazing conversation with Haley Wickenheiser when you compare it to the likes of a Marie-Philippe Poulin, who some will say is a more talented hockey player. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of an intangible part of the conversation. It can be difficult to weigh, okay, this person was a trailblazer. This person was kind of an original in a way that the succeeding guys weren't. How do you weight that against, you know, an extra 300 points in the NHL or whatever the case may be? Someone texting in, would Lemieux have scored as much as Gretzky? What's his point pace? Well, Lemieux's point pace is incredible. Like It's it's ridiculous. I'd have to look it up right now. I believe it's the best all time, but I might be I mistaken. I think that's correct. I might be mistaken on that. It's it's so hard to have that argument because if we give Merrill Lemieux a healthy career and he gets to play the same amount of time, well, we can project – easily we can project he would have had over 200 points in a season because he got to 199 and he was injured that year and he was scoring at an incredible play. So we can easily project that. But over the course of time – There is father time actually catching up with you, natural diminishment, so his points per game eventually would have gone down. Yeah, oh, it absolutely would have, right? And now, to be fair, he also, he did play late into his, in you know, he, he played at an advanced yep. age, not as much as, as Gretzky did, and he had some pretty good years at an advanced age as well, at 91 points in 67 games late in his career. So he did get a little bit of it, but not the same volume that drags his points per game total down to some other guys. Right, so it's a tough conversation to have. We can look it up at some point during this segment or maybe during the break, but to my memory, he has the best points per game in NHL history during the course of the regular season if I'm not mistaken. Let's move on. I asked this question at the top of the show, but we didn't really dig into it. And we'll see what our listeners think as well. We're having the clutch conversation, and apologies for not getting to those texts. Earlier, we had Justin Williams' name came up, and we were talking Mary-Philippe Poulin in that regard. Alex Burroughs got his name mentioned. Trevor Linden got his 
his name mentioned. I don't think either of those players, as clutch as they were at times for the Vancouver Canucks, are on the same level as a Marie-Philippe Boulin. But if you want to weigh in on that, you can at 916-960 or 650-650. It's September 1st, as you know, Jamie, and that, as a sports fan, is a special time on the calendar because a lot of stuff starts up or gets yeah. going into the best part of certain seasons. So we're just going to ask a pretty simple question today. This is one of the great months on the sports calendar. For you, what is the best part of the September sports calendar? Is it the fact that the CFL gets its Labor Day and goes past that? Is it the National Football League starting up this month? Is it the stretch drive of Major League Baseball? Is it the NHL preseason? Is it something else? Is it the U.S. Open if you're a big tennis fan? Are you a soccer fan and you love MLS? I don't think we can put World Cup qualifiers in there on an annual basis on the calendar. We're going to get those this month, and that's going to be great. We're going to talk about that more tomorrow. Jamie, what is your answer to that question? I mean, we could also throw the Ryder Cup this year in again. Not every year, but when it does come around, it's a pretty big event, and it's happening in September this year. My answer, just of the ones you laid out there, it's got to be the NFL. And, And, you know, obviously I'm a huge hockey fan, but it is just training camp and preseason, right? Like the NHL season starts in October. And as someone who works in sports media, I love when training camp gets going. We get to talk to the players, hear from the coaches, all of that, start to really dig into the season to come. That's great, but it's not the real games. It's not what you actually want to see. And that's what we're getting from the NFL this month. It feels to me like you know a marker of the start of fall, a start of the really legitimately busy sports season as you laid out. It's just not hard. It's, you know, your fantasy team gets going again. It feels right when the NFL comes back. So, yeah, that's my favorite sports element of September. It is for me as well. There's always something special about a playoff drive as well. Major League Baseball deserves more consideration there. I'm with you on the National Hockey League, and that doesn't make you any less of a Canadian and it doesn't make you any less of a hockey fan. People feel an obligation to it in this country. Well, if the NHL is in any type of voting scenario, if it's in any type of poll, I got to vote NHL because that proves I love hockey more than anything else. Yeah, but it's preseason hockey. And I'm going to be interested in training camp stories. And I'm going to be interested in whether or not we get some transactions that go down. The Islanders had a whole bunch today, surprisingly, Jamie. Weird. They did. Weird. Very busy. Yeah, Yeah, they had four contracts that came out. We've been hearing for a couple of months. Friedman and others have reported Look, they've got these contracts signed in a drawer. They're going to, at one point, pull them out and announce them, and they announced four of them today. So I'm interested in those stories, but they don't have as much meaning to me as regular season games in the National Football League. And look, Arden CFL fans are going to make a good argument for that league and how intense the football gets, and it really changes after September. I mentioned Major League Baseball and the stretch drive where things matter a whole lot more, and... infuriating loss last night for the Blue Jays. I wish they were going to matter more this month for the Toronto Blue Jays. I really hope they're going to, but they better get on a heater if that's actually going to happen. But I'm with you. It's the National Football League kicking off this month. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're right. If the the Jays were in a little bit more of a legitimate playoff push, maybe I would switch my answer for this month. And we have someone saying, Tavi, who says for this year, it has to be the Blue Jays making the push for the playoffs, but it's usually football starting. I just can't get there with you, Tavi, because I don't really see the Jays of having much of a legitimate opportunity to actually get into the playoffs. I know a lot can happen in baseball, but it's hard to have that confidence. So for this year, it's definitely the NFL. And I look, if we were doing this question in October, 
I would say the NHL. And October is another extremely busy sports month with a lot going on, right? The Major League Baseball postseason is on. The NFL is in full swing. Go down the list. I would pick the NHL then because it's actually the real games. It's the regular season. It's what you've been waiting for. It's just really hard to choose NHL training camp and preseason over actual meaningful NFL games. Thanks to those who did the research on the fly and looked up that Wayne had a higher points per game average in the regular season than Mario Lemieux did, which changed after Mario came back in the later stages of his career. Wayne, 1.921. Mario, 1.883. And it's part of it is because of the special nature of starting something, that freshness, and that's what the NFL has this month. And as you mentioned, yep. the NHL has next month. I'd have a more difficult time. I really love baseball playoffs. I really love baseball players, and I know that if we threw this out there in October, I know NHL would win because everybody anticipates the start of the season, and I would bump the NFL down my list in October as much as I enjoy the sport. 100%. Yeah. Where it's the NFL, because it's it's fast and furious, it doesn't really have dog days. Like, there's no dog days of the NFL season the way there are of the NBA season or the NHL season that we get it into in, like, February. Yeah. But the fact that the NHL is starting up, just like the NFL starting up this month, it makes it a little different conversation. Oh, it, it absolutely does. And that's a case where I have no problem saying, you know, you've, you've got your, what, by the time the NHL season starts, we're in, what, week six or seven of the NFL, right? So, yeah, it's not a lull in the season. There are no lulls in the NFL season. But you've you've got a chance to really gorge on the NFL. You're ready for something different to come along, and whether it's – MLB postseason or the NHL, those would both rank higher than the NFL for me in October. Well, and part of it has to do with teams going on buys in October as well. So you're not seeing every single team every single week, and they're on buys, and maybe that impacts your fantasy schedule. And and that's the other thing that obviously fuels the NFL, the anticipation right now of people doing drafts, of people seeing those first few games and, and getting guys on their roster. Have you done your drafts yet, Gene? I have not done my drafts yet. I got to say, I'm uh, I'm pretty unimpressed with whatever's going on at our Sportsnet 650 situation here. Like, We have not heard anything about getting an office station league up and running this year, so I'm disappointed by that. But in my other league, we're doing it, you know, like right the day before game one of the season. We're leaving it till the very, very last minute, so I have that coming up next week. And you're playing annual leagues. You're not playing dynasty leagues. No. No, I don't have the attention span for a, a dynasty league. I, I just, I can't wrap my head around it. I prefer, I want a completely fresh start. You know, after I burn out and flame out of the playoffs one year, I don't want to think about those players anymore. I want a fresh start going into the next season. A lot of people weighing in on the Mario versus Wayne debate. Mario did a lot on his own, says Buffalo Bill, who is still arguing for him. Had Mario playing in the dead puck era, said somebody. That's food for thought. That's fair. That's fair. Lemieux, the bulk of his career, I mean, he comes into the league later than Gretzky, and certainly he benefited from the style that was there in the 80s when he first broke into the National Hockey League, but he started to go through his injuries, and the game changed along the way in the 1990s. Yeah, the game absolutely changed along the way, and that makes, you know, when you look at what he did after coming back and, and suiting up for the Penguins again in 2000, 2001, that makes that accomplishment all the more impressive. Is that, yeah, okay, 76 points in 43 games, that's an incredible number, especially when you take into account that's kind of the height of the dead puck era. But to be fair, he also got a good run of games in the the wide-open 80s, too. Yeah, and Gretzky's last five years are in the dead puck era. It's not as though he didn't participate whatsoever. I mean, he's still playing all the way to 1999. Yeah, exactly. Keep those texts coming in. Dave and Cedar says it's all of them. No, we're asking you to pick one here, Dave. We're asking you to pick one. 
But Dave says it's all in baseball stretch drives. Go Giants, says Dave. NHL camps, CFL, NFL start, tennis. Mark me down for all of the above. Yes, it's a great month. It's a smorgasbord. But if you are told you have one plate to go up to that smorgasbord and you can only bring back one item, what <laughs> item are you bringing back, Dave? Come on, if you had to choose, what's your favorite? Doesn't mean you, you don't like the others. Yeah, Conrad from Calgary says, it's the NHL for me, exhibition or not. It's been so long since I've been to a game that I'll be hearing angels sing when the doors open. That's a good point, right? If we're, we're all assuming that fans will be able to attend in some capacity, hopefully, knock on wood, and all of that. But I think that factors into it this September as well, right? Even if it's just a preseason game, if you get to go down to Rogers Arena, if you get to go to a Flames game for the first time in a long, long time, that might boost the NHL up for you. Well, we're still waiting to find out exactly what that looks like. We know that you're going to have to have a vaccination status to attend NHL games this year, but... What's the capacity look like? Is there going to be diminished capacity? How much does that change by what happens with COVID over the course of the next month Month and vaccination rates over the course of the next month? Yeah, and that's why I say knock on wood, right? Because if, we, if we're having this discussion a month ago, we probably feel really, really good about fans being able to go to games on a consistent basis and with a certain amount of capacity. Now, it still looks like it'll happen. And, and with the vaccination mandates and all that, that's a good sign for it happening. But it's also a lot more uncertain than it was not that long ago. We had someone weigh in with that. We talked about the vaccination story with Tim a little bit, and we got into it with what happened with Urban Meyer in Jacksonville saying, yeah, we considered it when we were making our cuts, and now they've had to walk that back, and Bill Belichick's being asked a lot about it with regards to Cam Newton. We had this one coming in. This has little to do with the actual vaccination and everything to do with personal choice. If you have your vaccination, then you're totally safe, right? No, that's not true. And if you're not safe, then why the hell are we relying on an ineffective vaccine to get us through this? That, to me, is a misunderstanding of what a vaccine is. I will continue with the text. And why is it okay for someone to catch COVID as long as they have a vaccine, but if you're unvaccinated and catch it, the spread is your fault? It's not. I understand why that perception might be. Oh, it's not okay to catch COVID. No one's looking to catch it. I'm not anti-vax, says this texter. I'm just pro-choice. I just had to vent this. Have a great show. We have said repeatedly, you and I are lockstep on this. There's no disagreement here. You get to choose what you put in your body. But with every choice comes a consequence. And the NFL in particular, with the stringent policies it has put in place, has laid out what the consequences are. And while we're on the subject of choice, the NHL, the NFL, all of these teams, all of these businesses, they have choices they get to make as well, right? And one of them is who do they get who do they let into their venues, to their businesses? Who do they allow to be a part of what they're doing? That's a choice that they get to make. There's certain restrictions the government puts on how they can make those choices, but they, the government does not say you cannot factor in you know, vaccination status into those choices. That is not a rule we have in our society. So sure, you're, you're absolutely entitled to make your choice. Of course you are. Nobody has ever said anything differently, but guess what? The NFL, the NHL, everyone else, they're entitled to make their choices too. Well, and here's a part of this conversation that a lot of people don't want to go down because they'll see them as different things. And our texter, like, I agree with your point on pro-choice. I'm there with you when it comes to whether or not you get vaccinated. I can't tell you what you have to put in your body, and I'm not going to. I'll tell you what I do. If you want to know my personal opinion, I'm happy to give you that, but I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. But, Jamie, if we just look at the element of risk, and that's what this ends up coming down to. It's a business decision when it comes to risk. If you're an NFL general manager, if you're a head coach, and you have two players on the bubble, and one player has a significant injury history and the other does not, which way do you think the coach leans? 
Of course. Of course they go with the player that they are more confident will be consistently available for the team. Of course they do. Right, and it's a point you've made consistently, Jamie, that this is about availability. And those who are unvaccinated by the rules that are in place from the NFL this season are at greater risk for unavailability than those who are vaccinated. It's very, very simple. And Urban Meyer voiced what everybody knows. You laid that out very well earlier, Jamie. It has to be part of your consideration because you are trying to win football games and the thought of missing time or having part of your roster out because it's on the more punitive side of the rules, that hurts your ability to win football games potentially. It it honestly would be incompetence not to take it into consideration, right? Like, you know, imagine imagine you cut a player who's been dealing with injuries and the media asks you, you know, did the injuries play a factor here? And you say, no, that never entered into our mind. Well, what are you talking about? It had to enter into your mind because that's a factor that determines whether the guy can even be on the field for you. And again, Urban Meyer, I've been pretty critical of some of the other things he's done with Jacksonville. But in this case, all he's doing is saying what everyone knows to be true, which is, yeah, we took into account the likelihood that this player will be able to actually play for us. Of course they did. Keep those texts coming. Agree, disagree. We love to debate it on the air here. It's Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Coming up next, another former National Hockey Leaguer, Tyson Nash. The name Christian Dvorak was trending in the last 24 hours. I think you all know why. He's seen him for a number of years on a game-in, game-out basis. We'll talk to him about that and about something that came up from the world of basketball. We'll explain next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. I've had a lot of CFL fans cracking back online saying it's the CFL. You know it's the CFL. It's Labor Day football. And maybe some of that's down to event status as much as anything else. I was looking at it as a whole, and it's apples and oranges to a certain degree, Jamie, when you compare the sports calendar September. Baseball is going to play a ton of games. NFL, not so many. The CFL is going to play a similar amount, but... Certain games are weighted a little more heavily. We obviously look at Labor Day football a little differently than we look at a game in the third week of September. Yeah, for sure. I guess the because the Labor Day games are such a big deal for the CFL, that probably tilts it in the CFL's direction for a lot of fans. It is interesting. I mean, I don't know how fans feel about the Labor Day games this year because, again, they're coming so much earlier in the schedule, right, than they normally would. Obviously, it's still Labor Day, but you know what I mean. Games have a lot fewer teams under their belts than they normally would going into this weekend. Yeah, I don't think it's going to diminish it whatsoever, quite frankly. You've got Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, two of the top teams in the league, and the last time a championship was handed out, that was your Western final. No love lost between those two teams, and they're both off to very good starts. So that's going to be a great game on the Sunday. The Monday, you've got your traditional matchups, Toronto and Hamilton. Toronto's one of the good surprises in the league early this season. Hamilton's supposed to be one of the best teams in the league, but got off to the rough start, finally got its first win. And Calgary-Edmonton, as long as they play the game, and as yeah. long as the COVID protocols are in place, you know there's going to be juice there. Any two, Anytime those two cities get together in anything, there's juice. Yeah, that's going to be a really good game. You're right. That the, the rivalry carries things there very easily. I know there's one other game. I know Montreal and Ottawa are playing. I think we also all know it's not quite the same as the three games that I mentioned when it comes to the tradition of Labor Day. The BC Lions have the weekend off, as they traditionally do when it comes to Labor Day weekend. They don't have that traditional rival that they play. A lot of people, myself included, hoping for a 10th team in this league so that you'd have five games and a coast-to-coast Labor Day 
if you will. Keep those texts coming in. We will take them. You can weigh in online at my timeline, at Scott Rental. You can weigh in at Sportsnet 650. We've retweeted a poll question in a slightly different form, so the answers might be a little bit skewed. I did make Dave and Cedar choose, and Dave said, okay, fine, if I can only have one. And he said he loved them all, Jamie. Major League Baseball for him this month. There you go. There you go. That's fair. That's fair. It just, Major League Baseball kind of falls into the same category as the NHL for me in September where I like it, but I also know the bigger deal, the thing I'm more excited for is in October, right? I like the stretch run in Major League Baseball, and sometimes in certain years it can produce these really exciting races, but the big payoff that you're waiting for happens in October. Someone else said college football. Hey, fair response. You're a big college football fan. This is a great time of the year. We'll ask our next guest, former National Hockey Leaguer turned analyst and broadcaster, Kamloops Blazer alum, Tyson Nash, joins us here today. Tyson, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? I'm doing great. It's, it's been a while. It's been too long since somebody actually wanted to talk to me, so I'm happy to be here, boys. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you on. I, I will tell you, you got a tough act to follow in. Matt Calvert on an hour ago. He was an excellent interview. I know you will be as well, but you know how I pump up the Blazers when they come on this station because I grew up in Kamloops, so I'm pumping you up here, Tyson. Well, rightfully so. I mean, it's not hard to pump up three Memorial Cups. Uh, that, that, that organization's a dynasty, so uh, absolutely. One of only three guys, Ryan Huska and Darcy Tucker being the other to grab all three in those four years in Kamloops in the early to mid-90s, but I digress. Let's talk about what's going on. Hey, before I get to that, you're a big sports fan. What's your favorite thing in the month of September? Is it the kickoff of NFL? I know you've been in the States for a while. College football, baseball playoffs. Is it NHL preseason winding up? What is it for you? I, I love it all. I absolutely love it all, but I'm a massive uh, Chiefs fan. Kansas City Chiefs, uh, me and my brother, we've uh, had a ritual for a long, long time when, it, when it's worked to, uh, to hit the home opener. Uh, of our Chiefs play uh, play every year. So uh, I'm licking my chops and waiting for that to happen. When did that come about? It's a really good time right now to be a Chiefs fan, but there have been a lot of hard years along the way. When did you first get into the Chiefs? Well, exactly. And, and I can tell you, so I, I was in St. Louis with the Blues. I was a Kurt Warner fan, but that's uh, that's as far as it went. Um, I I didn't, I despise the, the, uh, the Rams at that point. So uh, I found the next closest team. It was the Chiefs. My brother uh, had a similar uh, infatuation with the team. And if you've ever been to a Chiefs game in that stadium, the food, the barbecue, the tailgating, there's nothing like it in uh, all of sports. So it didn't take much to uh, to turn the tide. And now, yeah, we've had a ton to cheer about. Uh, and I can't wait for this season. Coyotes broadcaster, former NHLer Tyson Nash with us this morning on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Let's talk a little bit about those Coyotes. Big big talk this week about Christian Dvorak and the possibility that if Montreal walks away from Jesperi Kokanyemi, they might try to acquire Christian Dvorak. You see him game in, game out. There are some who are of the belief he's ready for a big breakout if given a different opportunity. How do you see Christian Dvorak at this point of his career? Well, I, I think he's ready to take the, the next step, and I think it's going to be a big one for, for Christian. Um, I, I think that uh, he's, he's very talented, and sometimes as a fan and as a broadcaster and even in management, you know, you have to take a step back. Sometimes you're, you're right in the forest and you can't see the whole, the whole picture, right? And I, I think Christian Dvorak, is, uh, he's, they're, they're a tough, 
commodity. They're a tough player to find because he can score. He can put up numbers, uh, but he can also defend. And, you know, on a good team, he's going to be, he's going to be on a great team. He's, he's probably a, uh, a, you know, a third line centerman on a, on a good team. He's a second line uh, centerman. So he can, uh, he can bring it all. He's, uh, you know, everyone uses the Swiss army knife term. That's what this guy does. I think he's led the Coyotes, uh, you know, ever since he's been here in the face-off circle, which as we know, puck possession means, uh, means an awful lot. Uh, and again, he can score. He, he can do it all. Great kid. Uh, comes from a great family as well. So um, there's no doubt that there's, uh, you know, Montreal. I'm sure there's a lot of teams lining up for him. Yeah, and, you know, it's another very talented player, as you laid out, who might be on the way out of Arizona this offseason. I mean, obviously here in Vancouver, there was the big trade with the Canucks that saw Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland come to Vancouver. I mean, Arizona, from the outside looking in, it seems like they've been very clear about what they want to accomplish this summer, right? Which is, if it means moving guys like Dvorak and Garland, that's fine, as long as we get those draft picks and those future assets back in return. What have you made of how the Coyotes have gone about their business this offseason? Well, it's been remarkable in my mind. And Bill Armstrong, you have to take your hat off to him. Uh, and the ownership group, uh, you know, as well. Just, you know, looking ahead, looking at the future, looking where this team uh, needs to go and how they have to get there. And uh, John Chaika put this team in a real bind, uh, losing all those draft picks. Well, Bill Armstrong came in and he, you know, replenished the uh, the shelf with, uh, I mean, what were we, I think we had four draft picks at the start of the draft this year. We ended up, uh, I think, with nine. Um, and it's that much more impressive uh, next year and the year after that. So, um, you know, this is a team that, that there's no secret. They're in a full rebuild mode. Um, it's going to be a, a tough couple of years. Um, so I think, you know, they're looking at anything uh, that they can, uh, you know, that other teams want, that they can give away and get something significant uh, in return, like a first-round draft pick. So um, that's what it's all about right now moving forward. And, uh, you know, again, our fans uh, – they're going to have to, uh, you know, kind of weather weather this for a little bit, but there's going to be an awful lot to cheer about in three or four years, and that is the only way that you can build a winning team. Everyone wants a McKinnon. Everyone wants a McDavid. Everyone wants an Austin Matthews. You're not going to get it in free agency. You're going to get it in the draft, and that's uh, where this team is looking to do. You know, as you mentioned, Tyson, anytime any team decides to go this full-on rebuild, which is, you're, you're right, it often ends up working out really well, but it can be tough times in in between, right? When you're when you're trading away those good players and when you're accumulating those draft picks. Do you have any concerns specifically in Arizona? Because, you know, we've had another round of, of drama surrounding the arena situation there that, you know, maybe this could be too tough of a time to really ask the fans to sit through a rebuild like this. No, I, I really don't. I think it's harder as a fan to sit through a mediocre team. Uh, I think that's harder than uh, than anything. And I think if the, the fans can buy in and, and look at what this team needs to do, you look at the Chicago's, you look at the Capitals, you look at, you know, Tampa's, all these teams, they lost. And they lost in a real big way. And then you replenish. Then you get the draft picks. Then you get... Yep, that was weird. <laughs> we've had lots of phones drop out before and we've had connection issues but that might be a new one was that a 1997 <laughs> connection to the internet that we just heard that's, that's about what it sounded like right like your modem is you pick up the phone but somebody's surfing aol upstairs and that's that's the sound you hear 
Yeah, that's kind of what it sounded like. It wasn't quite that, and people of my vintage and your vintage will know that, and maybe Josh Elliott Wolf, who's producing the program for us today, is too young to ever remember dial-up connection to That the took internet. me by surprise, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it got weird. It got loud. Then it got hazy, <laughs> staticky, and then the phone just rang. We'll see if we can get Tyson Nash back on the line, and... That's a place I was going to go with, with Tyson as well. And, and Tyson, we lost you connection-wise, and we got the 1997 AOL connection going on there. It was the weirdest sound. I don't know what you heard, but pick up on your answer there. And you were saying that the toughest thing you think to sit through is a mediocre team as opposed to a rebuild. Well, and that's just it. If you're a fan, you want something to cheer about. You want uh, longevity. You, you want a franchise player that can turn your organization around. If you're going to drop all this money on tickets, you want to watch – on Austin Matthews, you want to watch a McKinnon, a McDavid, and that's that's the bottom line. And all we've done here since at least I got here as a player was, you know, yeah, we compete, yeah, we battle, but we always finished out of the playoffs and in that ninth, tenth spot. And then what kind of draft picks do you get? Well, you get the Kyle Turrises, you get the Martin Hansels, you get the Mikel Bodkers. That's not how you win, okay? You need the superstars of the league. We should have had a Crosby. We should have had a Taves. We should have had a Malkin. We should have had any one of them, and we didn't, we didn't get anyone. And we were kind of in a rebuild mode back then. So we need to hit the reset button here a little bit. And I'll tell you what, though. This team, under Bill Armstrong, Shane Doan, now a huge part of it, the coaching staff that we have, this team is going to be fun to watch. They are going to battle they are going to compete, and I'll tell you what, this is going to be a real good brand of hockey. Whether you win or lose, they're going to be a fun product to watch. Hey, Tyson, the other player on the Coyotes I wanted to ask you about is Clayton Keller, who you know is still signed long-term. He's drafted number seven overall. You know, the remarkable thing about Clayton Keller, he just turned 23. He's still so young, despite the fact that he has a ton of NHL experience already. Where is he at his in his career, and what does he need to do to kind of take that next step and be a true star-level player in the NHL? I think he just really needs to mature, mature as a player, mature physically. I think he's a guy that if you look at when he got drafted, um, you know, the last few years, he's still like 170 pounds and you, you need to turn into to a man. And, and I think that's what you're going to see this year. Uh, you need that man strength. Uh, you need that extra gear. And I think off season training now more than ever. I mean, we used to go to training camp my first few years, you know, to get into shape. Well, now these kids, I mean, they got, uh, nutritionists, they got trainers, they got, you know, skills coaches, they, they have it all. So uh, there's no excuse as, a, as an athlete now and a hockey player that you're, you don't come in, you don't, you know, you're not able to put on that extra weight that you need to survive in the season and take that next step. And I think if Clayton Keller can do that, um, you know, I think the, the sky's the limit. This guy's ultra, you know, super talented. He's got great skills, got a good shot, hockey sense off the charts, but he just gets pushed around a little bit too easily. Tyson Nash, Coyotes broadcaster, former NHLer, joining us here today on Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Everyone is lockstep that everyone in Vancouver is going to love Connor Garland and that he's going to have even more success than he's had. He just keeps building on success year over year. There is a difference of opinion on what Oliver Ekman Larson might be able to do. What's your opinion on his ability to bounce back to the form that he showed three, four years ago? Well, I think might is the, is the big question. Um, you know, listen, I, I've almost gotten fist fights over the comparison that I've tried to make with, you know, who's better, Drew Doughty or Oliver ekman Larson. I mean, Drew, Drew Doughty is a great defenseman. There's no question about it. But Oliver ekman Larson, back-to-back 20-goal seasons, 
I mean, Nicholas Lidstrom didn't even have 20 goal season. So that's what he's capable of. Can he get back there is the big question, right? And I think as much as I love Oliver ekman Larson, it was probably time to go. I think it's time for a change, and I think a change will do him good. I think the media pressure is going to be significant for him to make sure every game, game in and game out, he's also you know going to be engaged because otherwise you get abused in the paper. I think that's a big thing for an athlete. The other thing is, is Oliver ekman Larson, he wanted to be the guy. He wanted to be the captain. Well, he's not a captain. He's a great leader, but he's not the captain. I don't think he should be the guy. He was always better when he wasn't the guy, when Keith Yandel was the guy. And he could just go out and, you know, go about his business and kind of hang in the weeds a little bit. And I think that's when Oliver is really going to shine. And I think he's going to have that in Vancouver. Obviously, with Hughes, he's not going to be the guy. So um, I think he's going to be a real nice addition there on the blue line. And I hope nothing for the best because he is as good as it gets as a human and I know the talent and the fire is still burning. You had to work every day to be in the National Hockey League, so maybe you're not the best guy to ask, but you had teammates, and you probably saw it as well. One of the charges that's been labeled with players in the past when there hasn't been success or there have been mediocre teams in Phoenix, now Arizona, is that it's the type of market where you can get checked out. You're not doing great. There isn't the same type of engagement there is in a quote-unquote hockey market. Is that fair? Is it easier to check out in a place like that? Um, I think there's, there's for sure distractions, uh, but I think, you know, as a professional athlete, you, you fight against that. I mean, everybody wants to come down to Scottsdale in the winter and, and golf and hang out and, you know, you got free room and board at the, at the Nashes. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard not to, right. Um, but as an athlete, you got to be a professional and being, you know, part of being a professional is being focused. And, you know, the other big thing is your career. Your career could be, you know, you could come here and it could die or you could thrive, right? I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things. I wouldn't necessarily agree that, you know, um, you know that's what happens, but it, it certainly can happen and it certainly has happened to, to some players. But I think, uh, you know, some guys don't do well in media, right? I don't think Phil Kessel, I don't think he loved, um, you know, dealing with the media in Toronto every day. I think he really enjoys Arizona coming here and just kind of hiding in the weeds and, and doing his thing. And you saw last year, you know, how good he could still be. I'm getting free room and board at the Nash's clips so that when I show up there, I can actually play it for you on my phone and say, Hey, you put the offer out there. I'm going to show up. All right. Well, I didn't tell you I live in uh, I live in a trailer. So. <laughs> That's okay. The sun's still nice and, and the weather compared to, you know, Canada at certain times of the year is, is very favorable. You saw my stats. You, you saw my resume, so you, you know I'm not far off. <laughs> hey, I've seen your tan as well, so I'm not far off on the weather either, <laughs> Nash. All right. It's an old leather bag. One of the things, the reason we actually wanted to get you on at the start of the week had nothing to do with hockey, at least not in particular. I don't know if you've been following J.R. Smith, him going into college right now, and, and basically what's happened is he went from this NBA star at times but a significant NBA player he's gone back to college and he's detailed some of the difficulties he's had making the transition and you're a guy I thought of because I remember when you came out of the National Hockey League that transition didn't happen for you right away you're in a good place now can you describe what it's like and the challenge of making that transition from professional sport into quote-unquote real life well it's not easy I can tell you that and you know I think you know, I don't expect anyone to have sympathy for us. That, that's for sure. But it's uh, it, it's a known fact. I mean, it's a difficult thing. I, You know, you're Tyson Nash, the hockey player, your entire life. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, you're knocking on every door and no one's opening it. And now you're, you know, you're, you're Tyson Nash, the, you know, the, the everyday Tyson Nash. And I'll, I'll tell you what, it was difficult because you had to reinvent yourself. You had to find yourself. You, you had to drag yourself out of bed and uh, find, you know, some motivation with, you know, within the day because you didn't have a practice to go to. You didn't have the rink to go to. And uh, for me, I had a radio job right out of right out of hockey, and I I jumped right into it, and I think that helps significantly. And I don't think there's a lot of guys that are as lucky as that sometimes. Um, and some guys want to take three or four years off just to enjoy life, and I think then you try to get back into the game of hockey, and and sometimes it's too late at that point because people have changed, GMs have moved on, even owners sometimes, and and you're kind of a, a lost commodity. So. It's a very difficult thing, I feel, for everyone. I mean, I think it happens in business as well. Talking to my father-in-law when he was, you know, the vice president of General Electric, you know, when he retired, I mean, you know, he's used to traveling around the world three times in a year, and all of a sudden you're not answering phone calls and you're not running big meetings. I think that is difficult for people. And, you know, again, you need a good support system, and I think more than ever, the NHLPA, I think they do a, a really good job, but it can be better. They need more support, these players that retire. I think they need a mentor when they come out of the game um, to help them along the way. Guys like me, guys who have been there and, and struggled with it, I think that can only help because a lot of players end up in a, in a real dark place. Do you ever talk to players who are, who are nearing the end of their careers, Tyson, or, or at least starting to think about what they might do after to give them a little bit of advice about how you made the transition? Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't have one uh, any anyone off the top of the head. I mean, I think the last one was uh, was Shane Doan, uh, Jerome McGinley, who uh, I just uh, spent the weekend with, uh, Jamie McLennan as well. And you know, I I think for me, you know, I look at some of these guys, and I'm I'm actually even more proud of them that they've had better second careers in some aspects um, than their first ones, and, and that's hard to believe. You know, the Paul Bissonnettes, the Jamie McLennans, they're getting into broadcasting, the Darren Pangs. I mean, these, uh, it's impressive stuff, and I take my hat off to these guys. But um, I do look around more than ever um, at guys that are coming to an end because I think it's really important that, uh, that they have some, some help. Everyone knows it when they're playing. Everyone's got it figured out. Everyone's got it handled until they don't, right? And that's the difficult part is, is that all of a sudden, you know, you're fine until you're not fine. And uh, that's when you need guys and, and phone calls and text messages, guys reaching out. That's, that's the biggest thing. Just knowing even you have a friend or an ear to, you know, to, to gnaw off when you're, when you're not doing so well. When did you start to really think about, okay, what am I going to do after my days in the NHL are done? Did you always have an eye on media or, you know, how, how did you start that process of figuring out what you wanted to do? Sorry, I missed that last question, guys. Sorry, I was just, I was just wondering, you know, when did you kind of start to think about what you wanted to do when your NHL days were winding down? Oh man, you know what? It was it was really easy for me. Uh, I love the camera. I, I love the microphone. Um, I was kind of the the, cl- <laughs> the clown in the locker room. Uh, I, I think it was just a natural fit that you know I just kind of followed right into broadcasting, and luckily for me, I got to stay and keep my family in Arizona and I think that's a big plus I didn't have to move them around anymore and we could just you know start diving in and putting some deep roots here in Arizona this is the part where I say and the camera loves you too 
I don't know about that. No side <laughs> profiles. It's, it's in my contract. I love it. I love it. Hey, Tyson, thanks so much for taking the time today. You know we'll be calling again soon. Enjoy the lead-up to preseason hockey, and hopefully you get to go to that Chiefs home opener. You got it, boys. Hopefully we're back on the road, too, as broadcasters. This calling games, uh, you know, is, is garbage. So hopefully that happens, too. Yeah, I think everybody, yep. uh, one of your other former teammates, Corey Hirsch, would agree with that as well. Thanks, Tyson. Sounds good, boys. See ya. Tyson Nash and some really good stuff there at the end. And, you know, one of the, I went back to the article at the end of his career, and he was far more critical of the PA about 10 years ago and yeah. what he felt was a lack of involvement and a lack of role to play in helping players transition. And he said it there in one of his answers. Look, the PA does a much better job now. He still thinks it can get better, but he was critical of it because it's a tough time in your life. And one of the things he said at the time, Jamie, is that like for a player like him, who was always fighting to be on a fourth line somewhere, at his best maybe on a third line somewhere, you always think that somebody's going to give you another opportunity, and then all of a sudden they're not. And right. so, yeah, you're thinking about what you're going to do when hockey is over, but you also still have that same drive thinking, I can still play in this league. Like, don't write me off just yet. Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, how critical Tyson Nash was about 10 years ago of the NHLPA. And I think part of the context there was that was coming right after the summer when Wade Belak, Rick Rippon, and Derek Bugard all passed away. Right. So yes. I think the, the question of mental health and specifically how are we supporting and how, what are the PA, what is the NHL doing to support hockey players with their mental health was. You know, it felt maybe crisis is too strong a word, but obviously there was a lot of emotion and concern in that moment. And I'm glad to hear him say that they're doing a lot of positive things now, right? Because that suggests to me that there has been progress made in that area over the last decade. This conversation could and should continue. So you and I will do that on the other side. We'll turn our listeners in Calgary over to the big show there. We will talk to you tomorrow when we all get to get together at the same exact time on Thursday morning. We'll continue this conversation. Some interesting texts coming in as well. That's coming up next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. How many, Jamie? How many for this one? You developed the Jamie Dodd trademark karaoke rank <laughs> there are certain songs that you might be willing to do in karaoke after a certain number of beverages how many beverages for sweet child of mine so i think it depends on the crowd i'm with and the context because here's the thing i love karaoke i'm a horrible horrible singer so if i'm at a private room with like a big group of friends I'm, I don't really care about subjecting them to my awful singing. So I'll get up and I'll do it, whatever. I don't care. They have to deal with it. That's the price they pay for my friendship. If we're at a public <laughs> karaoke bar, I'm a little more sensitive to subjecting the wider general audience, the general public to me. So if, let's say if we're out in public, this one is probably like a, a, like a five or six beer song for me because I know that most of the people in the audience are not going to enjoy it very much. And in the private room, two beers, one beer? Yeah, two or, two or three, something like that. Probably two. There's a lot of musical yeah, okay. breaks in this one, too. So you got to think there's a lot of air guitaring going on. It's a pretty physical oh. song to do at karaoke. I, I mean, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with the air guitar. Well, you got to do the side-to-side -side rock if you're going to do Axel, <laughs> yes, right? From the true. Sweet Child of that's Mine video. True. Yeah, you don't have to necessarily do the air guitar. You can, you can wait till Slash gets in there a little later to get, get on that. But these are very good points. Well, I'm glad to hear your ranking. This, uh, Greg, that was close. That's about as close as you're going to get, buddy. That's as close as you're going to get to tempting me. That's on the that's on the playlist when I hit the karaoke room. 
I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. I'll get you one I, day, Scotty. I thought that might have been the song, really, because I, I know you have an affinity for Guns N' Roses and that song in particular, Scotty. I was wondering. I was wondering if we might get you there. I will say this. I'm standing right now, so we can leave it at that. <laughs> we can leave it at that. Are, are you doing the side-to-side sway? That's the real question. Not currently because the song is off, but it may have happened during the course of us <laughs> coming into this segment. It's Rintoul. It's Jamie Dodd. Some good text coming in. There's a couple of issues I want to dive into during the course of this final hour. Lots of people very happy to hear Tyson Nash on, somebody who said, have Tyson on every damn day. Nobody else around here will say perpetual, perpetual, pardon me, mediocrity is the worst. Screw these fake banning Stanley Cups for going all in just to make the playoffs. I wonder if somebody would pick up on that and whether you think the Canucks are going to be me- mediocre or good, whatever you think of them this year. Tyson Nash was very good. Had really good interviews on the program today, yep. three consecutive ones. We were talking with Tyson Nash about the end of it. I just wanted to finish this conversation, see if anyone else wants to jump in on it, Jamie, with how hard it can be to transition from pro sports to something else. And Tyson is right. The entire caveat, you have to line it up with is, hey, I don't expect you to feel sorry for us. Yeah, I don't expect you to feel sorry for us. That doesn't mean it's easy in a lot of cases. And Tyson expressed that and why it can be hard. And I think part of it, too, is what you're hearing with even a guy like Carl Alsner. Halford and Bruff had Carl Alsner on repeatedly during the course of the playoffs. And at one point they asked him about his playing career, and he said, well, just so everyone's clear, I'm not necessarily done. I'm healthier now. I'm gearing up. I think I can still help a team. I'm hoping I get that opportunity this coming September. And Carl Alsner, while he hasn't been out of the game that long, Jamie, it feels like he's been out of the game for a while. Yeah, it does. And Kevin Bieksa went through a similar process, I believe, right, as he was dipping his toes into media. And now, of course, he's extremely successful as a a commentator and an analyst on Hockey Night in Canada. But there was a time where, okay, I'm doing this media gig, but, you know, if the right opportunity and the right phone call comes, I'm still ready to get back into the game. It was a bit of a slower transition. It certainly was. And it's interesting because the point I wanted to make that Tyson was touching on a little bit there and and Alsner's story leads us to is this. When you have had to be all in the way that professional athletes are all in. Because if you're not, you don't make it. You just don't. There are very few that are so talented that they don't have to give that extra effort on a day-in, day-out basis to be as good as they are and to stay in the top leagues in the world. It's really difficult to transition to another career because your makeup is you have to be all in. And it's tough to succeed at something in your next phase of life if you're only partway in because you still think there's a chance you might be able to play. Yeah, it's a really good point, right? If you have one foot in one world and one foot in the other, that can make it difficult to really commit to what could potentially be your career after you're done playing. I think our listeners can appreciate that. Jamie, have you ever been in a job where you weren't all in? I mean, you're a lawyer turned broadcaster now, and it's difficult to go to work if you are not invested in your gig, unless that's part of the reason you took the gig because, hey, I know I can just get through this. I know that it's a means to an end. But if you are in something and you actually care about it, it's really tough to do your job if you lose that. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I have been in that situation. As you said, you know, I made the career change in part because I I didn't care really about my job, right? And I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something that I actually enjoyed, that I actually was engaged and invested in. Anybody else find themselves in that category can text us. You can get involved in this conversation, 960, 960, or 650. 650. 
The other one that we're getting some feedback on, and I'm not surprised by this, it's happened over the last couple of days. It's been a conversation in the NFL with regards to vaccination status, and you and I put it in a pretty logical place. This CFL story is a significant one. And whether you like the CFL, lump the CFL, it doesn't really matter because this is a bigger conversation than what what the league is or, or your affinity for it. Jacob Ruby, we found out yesterday, he got cut. And the reason the Edmonton Elks cut him was because at the time in their statement, hey, he violated COVID-19 protocols. We didn't know what that meant. And they were in a 10-day isolation period. So yeah, there was a deduction. I speculated. I said, I don't know, maybe he violated that isolation period. So right. maybe that's the reason. Well, it's much beyond that. It's that he fabricated his vac- vaccination status. At least that's the uh, allegation, that he misrepresented his vaccination status to the club. So the club said, sorry, you've lost our trust now. This is a pretty serious issue. We're done with you. And then the league comes out today, Jamie, and says, not only are the Elks done with you, no team will be permitted to sign him through the balance of this particular season. Yeah, so for a league that has so little margin for error, right? Like the CFL really needs this season to go well. You've already had the one COVID issue to deal with early in the season. It's no surprise to me that they're coming out so strongly on this issue and saying, you know what? You cannot mess around with these protocols we've put in place. We need everyone to follow them. We need everyone to be on board. And if you're going to go so far as to, as you say, you know, misrepresent your vaccination status for your team, that just can't fly. You're done. You're not going to be part of the league this year. And if everybody was under the exact same rules, then maybe it would be a little bit different. But like the NFL, and they haven't gone to the same extreme as far as restrictions go or freedoms, whatever you want to call them on, on either side of the ledger. Hey, if you're double vaccinated, here's what you're allowed to do from a personal conduct standpoint. In the building, out of the building, this is what we need you. If you're not vaccinated, we're going to be more stringent. Well, if you misrepresent that and you put yourself at what is considered undue risk by your business and therefore jeopardize the business in that particular year. I think anybody, again, whether you like the league or not, I think everybody knows how critical this year is for the Canadian yep. Football League after not playing last year. Well, they I mean, we've seen how, how much the NFL has invested in making this season go off without a hitch, right? But let's be honest, the NFL, if it happened, they can afford to miss a couple games here or there, right? They are not reliant on the gate revenue from, you know, Jacksonville hosting Indianapolis in week seven or whatever the game is, right? That's not a big deal in the larger scheme of things. I understand why they don't want it to happen. Of course they don't want it to happen, but that's not a major threat to their revenue streams. Missing games is a major threat to the revenue of the CFL. So yeah, they are going to do everything in their power to try to ensure that if there are players that aren't taking it seriously, one, how can we send a message to them to take it seriously? And that's part of this, right? Sending a message to every other player in the league saying, we're not going to tolerate this. But also, if guys just won't get on board, okay, you can't be a part of it then. And there's going to be a lot of people that say, hold on a second. You shouldn't compromise the ability to work. This was a mistake. Yes, it's misrepresentation, but you shouldn't be able to take somebody's career away. Look, there's a case that just came out in Hawaii. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, Jamie, or not. It, it's related somehow. There was an American woman who faked a vaccination card and got caught in Hawaii. She's been arrested. She's been yeah. arrested. So there are consequences for these things outside of professional sports. Yes. And again, you know, if, if Jacob Ruby says, looks at the situation and says, you know, 
the restrictions on unvaccinated people are just not something I want to deal with. He is free to go find other employment. That is completely up to him. Nobody is forcing him to play in the CFL, right? If you want to be a CFL player, there's certain rules you have to follow. That's not new to this year. That's always been the case. There's certain rules of conduct you have to follow if you want to join a professional sports league. In the NFL, them opening this investigation into Jacksonville, like that's not going anywhere. That's no. just paper pushing. That's a headline, and it's, all right, we have to do it because Urban Meyer spoke a little bit of what every single team is going through right now, and this isn't how your general manager, your head coach necessarily feel about vaccination. Look, we've had a texter, and I'm not going to name the texter, say, look, I, I don't happen to be vaccinated. I see arguments on both sides, but I don't want to be associated with the extremes on either side. I think the vitriol's a little bit too much. Look, the NFL's made it pretty clear. Either you get on board or there are certain restrictions. And by the way, you might cost yourself and your team a whole bunch of money, and that might involve wins, that might involve forfeitures, and they are not going to allow business to get slowed down as much as the business could easily absorb it the way you talked about right it's it's so important to them that they are seen to have no road bumps in the way right again because yeah they can deal with it from a revenue standpoint but they want to be able to stand up and say we played the entire season without any COVID hiccups whatsoever that's obviously a priority for them and i understand why right it's something that you can be proud of, of a, as a league if you get through it without any disruptions Text comes in, let's not forget that Jacob Ruby's actions impacted the salaries of his teammates as well. At least potentially it did. The CFL yeah. doesn't have the same rule in place right now. That and, and again, they're trying to move that game. It's postponed as opposed to canceled. And in that situation, the texture would be right. The NFL, they will still try to reschedule a game. At least that's what they have on paper. Look, if we have a COVID interruption, we'll, we'll try to reschedule it. If we can't reschedule it? Now everybody doesn't get paid for that week. Yes, which is the ultimate kind of hammer that they can they can wield in this situation, right? Is messing with your money, messing with your paycheck. And it has caused a bunch of players in the National Football League to say, I didn't really want to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. Not everybody well, has, and there have been some pretty outspoken advocates for the unvaccinated. Scotty, just look at how the the ratio of NFL players who are vaccinated compared to the overall rate in the United States. Like, yeah. the NFL's approach has been extremely successful by that metric. They're up over 90% of players. That's, what, that's higher than we have here in BC, let alone a lot of places in the U.S. So, obviously, yeah, as you say, maybe not everyone was thrilled to do it, but the approach the NFL has taken has been extremely effective at boosting the vaccination rate. It's Rintoul, it's Dodd. That is one of the answers on the poll question we've thrown out there to you as a sports fan. When it comes to September and it comes to the September sports calendar, what do you care about the most? What is your favorite? You can hit us up. We've put this online. I've asked for those. We can't list all of them. That's the way Twitter works. So you can't list every single option. You can list four. I put out the NFL, MLB stretch drive, NHL preseason, or other. And some took a little offense that I didn't include CFL in the top three or Labor Day games specifically in the top three. A lot of my mentions have been that. But I'll tell you where things are sitting right now. Most of the respondents, and there's over 450 of you already, and this just recently got put out, almost half of the respondents have said the National Football League, Jamie. 
That's a little surprising because you and I talked about this before the show and we kind of thought, look, if NHL gets included on a poll in a, in Canada for a Canadian sports talk radio show, it's probably going to win, but not the case so far. And I, I think that's reflective of, look, we all understand the real deal for the NHL starts in October with the NFL. We're actually seeing the season start and that kind of takes the cake. Yeah, I'm with you. And some of that has to do with fantasy implications as well. I do yep. believe that's a big part of it. It would be an interesting poll if we put specific events up against it. I'm surprised that in my mentions I haven't seen anyone say U.S. Open, given where Canadian tennis is at right now and given that it's an actual title that gets handed out this month mm-hmm. as opposed to some of the other sports we're talking about. Yeah, it's a major, too. And and as you said, Canadians, you know, perform have performed well at it in recent years. There's a lot of high hopes for the Canadians in the field this year as well. I enjoyed that last night. I really did, and I felt for Bianca Andreescu. I stayed up and I watched that, and it had already been a good it had already been a good day on the courts for Canada. Chapel went out there and cruised yesterday. Leila Ani Fernandez, she won her opening match. Vasek Pospisil pulls the upset, and he's an easy story to cheer for. And you see, Steve Nash was sitting in his private box there at that match. Yeah, I did. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Nash has been doing the rounds. He's been uh, making sure he's supporting Canadians at the USO. And that was out on court 10. Like, that wasn't a main Arthur Ashe Stadium type of event like Bianca gets to play in right now. That's out on court 10. That's, hey, this guy's my buddy, and I'll be there. Yeah, and that's pretty cool to have Steve Nash in your corner, no doubt about that. We should also mention, as you said, Leila Annie Fernandez winning on uh, on Monday. She wins today as well in her second round yes. matchup. That sets up tomorrow a pretty high profile third round matchup against Naomi Osaka for the young Canadian, the yeah, third seed get... in the tournament. Pardon me, Jamie. It doesn't get much more high profile than no. that. You're you're absolutely right. And and Naomi Osaka matches have been more high profile with everything that's gone on with her this summer despite the fact she's a multiple grand slam winner as well so yeah canada on the court back to the bianca match last night wasn't easy it wasn't easy and there's a pretty good argument to be made that it should have been easier given what we think of bianca and given her skill set she had to fight last night i liked it though and and we had a couple of people chime in and say yeah but didn't Jeannie bouchard have a, a quick run like things can change in a hurry I see a different level of competitive competitiveness with Bianca since she became a star on the tour than I saw with Jeannie. It was almost as though all of the attention, it was just too much for her, and yeah. she wasn't able to invest as much of herself. In tennis. It's not that she's not a, a good tennis player, but she had trouble being what looked to be a great tennis player. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, Bianca Andreescu has already broken through with the major victory, yes. right, which is something that neighbor, never happened for Eugenie Bouchard. So that, for me, that immediately puts her into a different category because she has shown she can be among the very, very best in the world on the court, right? She's, she's got that Grand Slam championship, which is such a big deal. It, it, man, as you said, it felt like it should have been easier and it, it just wasn't. That's been the case for Bianca Andreescu for, it seems like, for a long time now, really. And it's both frustrating and inspiring. It's frustrating because you know what her upside is. You know how much talent she has. And you see her going against these much lower-ranked opponents. And you think, all right, like, let's do this. Let's go. You know, easy. Make it easy for once. It just doesn't seem to happen. But it's inspiring because she does always have that fight. And a lot of the time, she is able to gut it out, even when she makes it more difficult than you would like to see. And it makes it so tantalizing because if you ever get – if she's ever able to get back to a place where she's not making it difficult on herself, but she still has that attitude and that fight, 
it really does seem like the sky is the limit for her for her if she can finally get back to a place where she's not always making it so hard on herself. Well, and none of us have been in that situation where it's an individual sport like that on that big of a stage and the expectations that come with it, and you're in the middle of it yourself. We all know the rules. You can't get coached up while you're out there as a tennis player. The commentators could see it last night. I'm sure everybody watching, if yep. I could see it, Probably everybody could see it because I'm certainly not that steeped in my tennis knowledge, but she was fighting herself at times, and the commentators made it pretty clear. Like, everything is a power stroke right now, and that recognition of, okay, I don't have my best stuff today. How am I going to find a way through it without my best stuff? We had a great conversation with Ricky Romero about that recently. Hey, it's easy to go out there and, and paint when you've got your A stuff. But there's a bunch of days where you don't have your A stuff. So how do you make that a B minus as opposed to a D? Because a D gets you lit up. A D gets you bounced from the U.S. Open in Bianca's case. How can you find enough of a C plus, B minus game to get you through that match? And you're right. When you look at especially the Grand Slam tournaments, right, the longer events on the tennis tour, you know, even the great players are going to have matches, whether it's in the early rounds, the quarterfinals, whatever, where they don't have their best stuff that day. And they're still able to get through it because they have that ability, as you say, to make it a B minus instead of a D. And they can still find a way to beat a lesser opponent, even without their best stuff. I think the task for Bianca is right now, it seems like the ratio of days where she has her best stuff to where she doesn't is skewed. It's skewed way too much to days where she doesn't have her best stuff. And it's awesome that so frequently she's able to fight through that. And she already has that skill. But now if just if she's going to win more Grand Slam, she has to have more days where she does have her best stuff. You ever read Andre Agassi's book? I have not. Okay, it's uh, one It's one I highly recommend. It's really good. I liked Agassi growing up, and it was one that I just couldn't put down. There's one point where he talks about in his career, he was so enamored with hitting winners, and he always had to hit winners, and that's the way that he played. And we've talked about this with Dennis Shapovalov as well, and I got to go paint the lines. And there was this point where someone got through to him, and I can't remember who it was right now, where that person said, look, there are certain matches where – you just have to put the ball in play and let your opponent, who is less skilled than you, make unforced errors. Because if right. you just keep the ball in play, that and and quite frankly, what we saw last night, that's what the Swiss opponent was doing to Bianca. She was hitting some winners here or there, but as that match wore on, she seemed to figure out, if I keep putting this ball in play, if I just keep returning it, she's going to try so hard to overpower her shots and keep hitting yep. winners that I've got a real chance to get into that. And it was working for the most part. But Agassi said, it dawned on me that I had to figure out mentally how I was going to win that match that day, and they weren't all going to be the same. And you can imagine how frustrating it would be. And also, as, as Agassi's saying there, as you say in the book, you know how kind of tempting the prospect of hitting those winners would be, right? If you know you have a higher level of talent than the person you're playing. Yeah, of course you want to show it off. Of course you think, hey, I should just be powering this one past them time in, time out because I'm better than them. You have that competitive juice, right? That you want to go out and you want to show everyone that you have the superior talent to your opponent that day. It's hard to do though. And you're right. Sometimes the best strategy is just to be a little bit more cautious. Hey, I'm going to let them beat themselves. That's fine too. That's just fine by me. Unsigned text comes in. Bianca is the most incredible athlete in Canada across the board. She is on another planet compared to Jeannie Bouchard. She is a superstar, says this texter, bar none. 
I think she's on another level as well. I hope that she is able to become more consistent and that she stays healthy so she can be a superstar more often than she's been able to be because of those factors over the last couple of years. I hope she has a deep run at this tournament. I think most of us as Canadian fans do as well. He got some support today. And because of who he is, maybe that will surprise you. Find out who next right here on Rental and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. Is this a harbinger of what's to come for the National Hockey League? Not the final countdown. Not that. <laughs> Not the band. But this story that just came in in the last 15, 20 minutes. It's Scott Rinto and Jamie Dodd for one final segment. I promise we're going to move off of the COVID and vaccination conversation. We will. And I intended to at the beginning of this segment. But this news just came in, and it's relevant because of what the National Hockey League is going through, Jamie. NBA insider Sham Sharinia tweeting out from his sources that unvaccinated NBA players in markets with local requirements, such as New York City and San Francisco, will not be allowed to enter home arenas or facilities for games or team activities conducted there unless there's an approved medical or religious exemption. Again, we go back to the concept of competitive advantage and where this lies for the National Hockey League is whether or not the ability for unvaccinated players from NHL teams, whether they're going to have the ability to cross the border for games and play in arenas with Canadian teams. Yeah, because we often talk about it as a debate or not even a debate, but just something that has to be agreed upon between the league and the players, right? But the local governments, and in some cases the federal or provincial or state governments, they have a say in this too, right? They get to to make health regulations as well. And this is an angle I hadn't really considered before, right? That you know the actual local government policies in some places and as shams points out you know specifically in the nba right now that's new york city and san francisco could actually prevent players from you know just taking part in team activities and when we've talked about it in the states it's felt different it's felt different because we've had different restrictions and there were no fans in nhl arenas until montreal was given the ability to bump it up just a little bit, and a few fans went to games in Winnipeg when the Jets were still hanging around in the playoffs before being brushed aside by the Habs. Look, this is a thing in Canada. There are different restrictions. There are different policies, and with everything going on from province to province right now, and look, we might have a change in, in national government later this month. It's a possibility here, and, and how does that impact things moving forward? I'm not quite sure, but when it happens in the United States where we've been a accustomed to watching relatively full venues for the yep. most part in all of these sports, it kind of hits home a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. And it makes you consider the ramifications for us up here in Canada. And, I, you know, I've said this a few times in the last few weeks, but I think the NHL is in such an interesting position because of the volume of cross-border travel, right? And the fact that people are playing and traveling around two countries rather than just one, I really do think it makes the situation a lot more complicated for the NHL. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And the messaging from the teams can be very simple, but as we've talked about many times, it's a personal choice matter for each individual. The messaging from the teams and what we heard last week in Vancouver in, in that report in the province was, hey, we think everybody should be vaccinated. Yeah. That doesn't mean everybody has to get vaccinated. It's still not a mandate, but do further restrictions, do further impositions, alter somebody's mind where they say, look, this isn't something I really wanted to do, and if I had my druthers, I wouldn't, but 
if it's going to be a thing and it's going to make me a distraction to the team, I'm going to choose the lesser evil here, at least the one that I see as the lesser evil. Well, and are we going to see, like, could we actually see at some point in this NHL season, you know, a player, for example, a player on an American team who just has to stay home when the team goes up to Canada, right? Like, is that actually a possibility? And we know that here in Canada, because of how important hockey is, you know, oftentimes the government finds a way to make things a little easier for the NHL, right? They'll find an exemption for them if they can. But it's the kind of thing that seems... I don't want to say crazy or impossible, but it seemed pretty far-fetched. But, you know, if the NBA is going to say, hey, listen, if the local the local regulations are what they are and you might not be able to play games because of them, I would expect the NHL to follow suit in that matter. Scott Rental, Jamie Dodd wrapping up. You can always get involved in the conversation. Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Hit us there, 650-650 throughout the course of the show and throughout the course of the day as programming rolls on here in your home of Canucks Hockey, Sportsnet 650. We've talked about it the last couple of days, and it continues to be in the news. The PGA coming out and saying, you can't call Bryson DeChambeau Brooksy. It's not allowed. We can kick you out of a tournament for doing that. You and I have disagreed with the PGA's method here. We both agree that the thing that happened, the one small thing that happened on the weekend, has put this into a bad spot, but that the PGA is probably dealing with this in the wrong way. Yeah, they are. And I thought Tim McAuliffe put it well earlier when we were chatting with him. You know, I asked him, like, is there even a problem that needs to be dealt with? Or was that just a one-off incident on the weekend? And what McAuliffe said was, well, look, Bryson, you know, love him or hate him. He's one of the biggest stars on tour. He's one of the guys people are tuning in to watch. If he thinks there's a problem, yeah, the PGA is probably going to think there's an issue as well. I do think they have only fanned the flames, right? And whether it's just the volume of people yelling Brooksy is too much for them to actually enforce it, and it kind of goes by the wayside, or whether people find just another way to try to get under the skin of Bryson and they start get cre- start to get creative – they have really only encouraged people, I think, to do that, to do just that, to find other ways to tick off Bryson DeChambeau and get under his skin. You're going to find this hard to believe, Jamie, but the inquiring minds known as the media are asking multiple players <laughs> about this right now <laughs> on tour. Are. And, of course, they're asking high-profile players as well. Rory McIlroy was asked about the situation today and the rule that comes in from the PGA and where this has gotten to with fans and Bryson DeChambeau have a listen to his response. Because I, I certainly, I don't think that you should be um, ostracized or criticized for being different. And I think we've all known from the start that Bryson is different and he he's not going to conform to the way people want him to be. Um, he, he, he is his own person. He, he thinks his own thoughts. He, you know, and everyone has a right to do that. There are certainly things that he has done in the past that have brought some of this stuff on himself. I'm not saying that he's um, completely blameless in this, but at the same time, I think he has been getting a pretty rough go of it of late. And it's, it's actually pretty sad to see because, you know, he, you know, he, he, Deep down, I think, is a nice person, and um, all he wants to do is try to be the best golfer he can be. And it just seems like every every week something else happens, and um, I'd say it's pretty tough to be Bryson DeChambeau right now. And um, I don't know if anyone else on tour has spoken up for him, but I definitely I definitely feel for him a little bit. And I you know I, I agree. I don't think he's 
completely blameless in all of this, but at the same time, I think he's trying to become better and he's trying to learn from his mistakes. And I think everyone should give him a chance to, to try to do that. It's a really thoughtful answer for one of the biggest stars on the tour, even though McElroy hasn't closed in the biggest events the way we expected him to in recent years, Jamie. And Rory's kind of made a habit of that, uh, Scott. And that, that's what I want. One of the reasons I wanted to play that clip on the show is, you know, first of all, to kind of further the conversation about Bryson DeChambeau, but also just to recognize that, you know, Rory McElroy has given a lot of thoughtful answers, I feel like, in recent years on different issues on tour. And that one is certainly no different. I think that probably captures my attitude towards the whole thing more, uh, you know, better said than I have done so far on the show, right? Which is. Yeah, Bryson's not blameless here. I understand that. But do we really want to see people targeting him and kind of ostracizing him at the root of it because he's different? Because he's a different guy who's just kind of odd. That's what it comes down to here. And is that really something we want to see? And I think he hit a couple of different points that are very valid. And McElroy doing this today has far greater impact in my mind than the PGA saying, well, here's a rule. Yep. You better stick to yep. it as a fan. Because if somebody that fans, for the most part, love, respect both on the tour and Roy, Roy, Roy McIlroy, people have a lot of time for him. Yep. If somebody like that and if others of his ilk stand up on the PGA Tour and say, hey, guys, we had some fun with this for a while, but just back off. Like It's gone a little bit too far, and I'm asking you, even though it doesn't affect me personally, I'm asking you just to back off a little bit. That has far more weight than what the PGA tried to do here in the last couple of days. You're totally right. And if that had happened previous to the PGA coming in and, and kind of trying to put their foot down and making these rules, I think it would have been very successful, right? Because Rory McIlroy, you're right. He is that kind of universally respected figure on tour. And as I said, he's kind of made a habit of coming out and being very empathetic and being very thoughtful on some of these bigger issues. His voice has weight. And you're right. Fans would have listened if it was coming from him first and foremost. Now that it's coming in reaction to the PGA, partly, right, to the PGA doing what they did, I'm, I'm a little concerned that it's not going to have the same sort of impact as it could have. And that that's not – I'm not placing blame on Rory for that at all. It's more unfortunate that the PGA stepped in when they did. Well, and whether it's Rory and whether it's some of the other stars on tour who speak, you're not going to get to everyone. There's somebody who's always going to want to be that guy in every single crowd. But it goes back to what we were talking about with McAuliffe, that – there's this self-governance that is supposed to happen in social situations where, hey, we all know what's kind of acceptable. And when you cross that line, the masses around you are supposed to look sideways at you at well and say, hey, yeah. hey, get it together here. Like you've gone a little bit too far and, and that there's a way to patrol this amongst yourselves as fans. And in this case, with the other players on the tour as well, if you're saying – Guys, just back off a little bit here because I think he hit on something else there that, that I've mentioned before and I will mention again. I'm not a Bryson DeChambeau fan. I don't have the disdain for him that some people do, but I, I don't count myself among those who said, boy, I want to see this guy dominate the tour. That said, he doesn't come across as super mean-spirited. He no. comes across as different. And you know what he comes across as, Jamie? A guy who just doesn't quite know how to conform socially. So he doesn't know how to go about asking for what he actually wants in a way that, that resonates with a lot of people who are listening. You're right. It's... Look, there is arrogance there. That's undeniable, right? Of course there is, and that is at the root of it for a lot of people. But it is also, yeah, social awkwardness. The thing that 
with Bryson, as you said, that the reason I would not say like, oh, I'm a, I'm against Bryson DeChambeau or I'm a hater or anything like that, it's not malicious. He's not going out there to be a jerk to people, right? He's not he's not yelling and screaming and 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 being an a hole about it. He's just different, and yeah, it rubs you the wrong way, but it doesn't come from a place of meanness. Jordan and Langley and Jordan, you texted in earlier this week. I give you credit. You're following up and you're consistent on your point. He says Bryson needs to grow up if he can't handle being called a non-discriminatory. If I can speak, a non-discriminatory name, get out of the limelight. Well, he's not going to quit the tour. Like that, that's not what's going to happen. He's not going to quit the tour. Could he help himself? And that's something Rory mentioned, which I think is yeah. fair and balanced in his answer, where he said he's brought some of this on himself. We can all see that. He's not blameless here. I agree with that aspect of of what you're saying, Jordan. And it's it's almost the less is more. You maybe just shouldn't speak on some of these things. He's tried different tactics, and you can tell in watching him that he's hoping it will work. Hey, this is what I should do because this will this has worked for other people, so I'll say it. But whether it's the tone with which he says it or the, or the look on his face or whether you think he's smirking or it's because you, you know about how arrogant he can be in certain situations, it just hasn't come across the way he's wanted it to, and it hasn't had the desired effect. And I have a lot of time for what Jordan and Langley texted in there, right? Because he's right. You know, this isn't a case where people are yelling offensive, you know, mean-spirited things. Well, mean-spirited, you could argue the intent is there, but it's not offensive. It's not bigoted language or anything like that, where people are clearly crossing a line by heckling him. So I totally understand what Jordan and Langley is saying, but it does feel like it's just gotten to a point where it's kind of lame. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, okay, like, what are we really doing here? It was fun for a little bit, but why are we still doing this? It's just kind of a drag to be around at this point. But because it's been so successful at getting under his skin, fans are going to keep doing it. And I don't think what McElroy is saying or what either of us is saying is, hey, nobody can say anything ever again. It's best behavior. There's no good-natured ribbing that can take place in some of the – what is considered acceptable heck like nobody's saying that whatsoever what McElroy is saying is just let's back off for a time being here like yeah. let's just let's just pull it back a little bit here can we get back to the place where this seemed to be a month ago or two months ago when it seemed to be kind of fun and good-natured because what McElroy is alluding to and and what the PGA incorrectly is trying to curtail is what seems to be something that is more it's it's the intent behind it in some cases yeah. not not all of it but in some cases yes exactly and uh, i like this uh, text from adrian and penticton as well who says happy gilmore is coming to fruition in that movie shooter was mad at the fans that were coming to watch happy play the fan demographic in golf has changed the fan is getting more empowered and so is the golfer and this is causing a clash i do think there's something to that right just the changing golf the changing culture of golf and the pga tour in general i mean you reference that Earlier in the week, Scotty, right? Look at the Waste Management Open down in Phoenix and how they really try to encourage that kind of rowdier atmosphere that's much different than what we would normally see at a PGA Tour event. They are leaning a little bit more into that, and I think that's always going to cause some awkward moments. I do think that's part of the story here, and it's funny because, again, earlier in the week when we've been talking about this, we've had people text in to say, you know, like, I, I'm I'm tired of the people yelling Brooksy. I'm also tired of the people who yell, get in the hole after every putt, right? And who act like Yahoo's in other ways on the golf course. And that's something that, 
again, golfers have spoken up about and kind of said, come on, guys, like, where's the etiquette here? I do think as golf tries to shed a little bit of its very reserved reputation, there are going to be awkward growing pains like this. Of course there are, because there's a delicate balance to be struck, because golf, like yep. any other professional sport, is trying to make money, and it knows that continuing to portray itself the way it has for the bulk of its existence as somewhat elitist, you better have a bunch of money to play, you better have a bunch of money to come in, and you know how people with money act? They act very reserved, yep. and they golf clap. Well, they don't want that to be their public image, because then you don't invite enough people to the party, and more importantly, you don't invite enough wallets to the party. But as you try to expand that field and say, we want you to be involved and bring some of yourself, but we still want to keep some of our rules and, and our decorum here. Yeah, there's going to be some bumpy patches along the way, and, and they're trying to figure out, and galleries themselves are trying to figure out yep. what the new normal looks like. What's acceptable? What is what is the new golf etiquette, right? When you're at an event and you're cheering and you're trying to be really supportive of your favorite player, but what is okay now? I think it's actually a fascinating kind of subplot on tour these days is watching that interaction between the golfers and the fans. And sometimes it's really great and it's really fun to see it. But yeah, sometimes it can be a little annoying too. Well, someone said, check James Hahn's tweet. And we did. We saw this yesterday. We didn't get it on the air, but... James Hahn is of Asian heritage and put this out yesterday. He was having fun with the whole new rule. That's the way it came across to me. He said, it's official. Calling Bryson anything but his real name will get you thrown out of a golf tournament. So if any one of you call me Kevin Na, Danny Lee, or Song Moon Bay, we're going to have some problems. And that got a lot of attention on tour. He was trying to have a little bit of fun with it yesterday as well. Well, and he's having fun there, but I'm sure that has happened to him on many occasions, right? Like, I, that's also, that's a fun tweet with a little bit of an edge to it as well. So I, I enjoyed that very much from James Hahn. Lenny and Langley says, I disagree, lads. Bryson has alienated himself with his poor behavior and does have a mean streak. He berates cameramen, damages putting greens with his tantrums, and has demonstrated meanness through his sly comments with Brooks. I'm against bullying, but he does need to be called out for his poor behavior. I think that's happened, Lenny, and what McElroy has said today is, okay, you've made your point. Let's just pull it back a little. Yeah. That's all he's saying. Like it's all he's not saying, man, you guys don't get it. This is the nicest guy that's ever been on tour and and you wouldn't believe how good he is to everybody in the locker room and the side you guys should see, you're not seeing right. That's not what McElroy said here today. Not at all. No, you're right. He said he admitted that, yeah, Bryson has done things that are annoying and obnoxious a little bit, and that deserved to be called out and pointed out and deserved to be labeled as unacceptable. But that's, again, that's not exactly what's happening right now. BP and Mission, how are you going to control any of Bryson's comments at the stadium hole in 16? He'll get it there for sure. You're not going to be able to control it at any event. You're not going to be no. able to control it at the Masters Name the most prestigious event that you think has the most decorum. You won't be able to control it at any of it, which is why the PGA trying to put a rule in place was ill-advised in the first place. Exactly, because they're not going to be able to enforce it, and they're encouraging people who were already maybe on this road, right, who wanted to do something to annoy Bryson. They're encouraging them either, one, to just go ahead and do it, right, test the PGA, basically, and see if they're actually willing to stick to their guns, or they're encouraging them to find other ways to do it. That could just end up being just as, if not more, annoying for Bryson. 
Keep those texts coming in, man. It's been a strong push this week from our listeners, even though it's summer turning into September here and everybody's going to get back to the regular routine. I know a lot of people are trying to milk those last days of their summer vacation, but, man, we've had really good response throughout the course of this week. We didn't talk much baseball here. It was part of a poll that we threw out there at some point. Jamie, we did get some response on MLB. Good news if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan, despite an extremely disappointing loss last night to the Baltimore Orioles. George Springer is going to play today despite being lifted during the course of last night's game. Yeah, and I think this point, at this point, it's good news, you know, for the remaining five years on his mega deal, right? More so than it is for the rest of this season because I, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans have kind of started to say goodbye to their postseason hopes for this year. It could still happen, and yeah, if it's going to happen, George Springer has to be a part of it, but you just don't want this to be the story of his entire tenure with the Jays, right? Ah, great was the great when he was on the field, but just couldn't stay on the field. So if he can just stay healthy down the stretch here to set him up, set himself up for next year, that's great news. I don't even have the number in front of me, but there's something like nine games over 500 when he plays, but they're under 500 when he yep. doesn't. Well, he was on fire when he came Ooh. back, and before we'll he left the lineup the second time, he was just crushing the ball. Boy, was yeah. Hey, one more baseball story. Not a good one. Not a good news. Hey, George Springer's coming back to the line. Do you see the New York Mets? They cannot stay out of the news these days. They Wait, can. what do they do now? Their general manager has gotten a DUI. Oh. Yeah. Like, they can't stay out of the news. They had just this brief ray of sunshine yesterday. Did you see their yeah. comeback win Absolutely. yesterday? And did you see who scored the winning run? <laughs> yes. It was fantastic. It was great drama, great theater with Abby Baez coming in and slide, do it, doing his kind of trademark move, which is exceptional base running, right? And a perfect slide to beat the tag at home and win the game in the bottom of the uh, ninth or the, the last inning of the game at any rate for the Mets. And yeah, it's just, you're right. It was awesome. It's like, okay, we can heal. We can come back together as a team and a fan base. And then, as you say, completely, completely wiped away immediately. Fans in the stands were doing the thumbs up last night. Yep. They were applauding yep. a guy that they were booing and then cursing out at some point this week and then here you go you're still dysfunctional in a bunch of different ways your general manager now has been caught you had a general manager a number of months ago who got fired because he was involved in sexting yep. female employees and harassing employees this has been just a nightmare season for a team that at one point was quite good actually on the field well, it looked like it was going really well for them, right? And, you know, they signed Francisco Lindor to the big money deal in the offseason. He has not lived up to that at all. But still, it looked like they were postseason bound. They go out and make the trade for Javi Baez. That's really exciting. And it's just been completely, completely off the rails since then. Yeah, things can always get worse, apparently. Things can always <laughs> that's get a good, worse. That's a good life motto in general. <laughs> yeah, get the shirt. Bishop Sycamore on the front. Things can always get worse on the back. <laughs> can we make that amendment? Can we make it happen? Let's do it. Maybe that can be our official show uh, show motto going forward, Scotty. Well, hopefully not for tomorrow. We're trying to make no. your day better, and we'll do so again tomorrow when we all get together. That'll do it for you and I today, but we'll be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Big ups to Greg Ballack back at Mission Control. Double duty once again. For the youngster, Josh Elliott-Wolf, who is producing both the morning show and our show today, we will now turn you over on this sunny Wednesday, September the 1st, to Bick and the Boss. Keep those texts coming at 650-650. Enjoy your Wednesday, everyone.